This is a podcast from Minute Media. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that race Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah! It's episode 436, if you just joined us. Let's get into it. Let's talk about USC football. We start... Alicia, with the coaches poll, which came out today, uh, Monday, August 8th, and USC ranks number 15. Uh, Number one, of course, is Alabama with 56 first place votes, followed by Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, and Notre Dame at number five. The Irish are the top team on USC schedule to be ranked. Utah is eighth. Oregon uh, who's not on USC schedule this year, but certainly a team that SC could face uh, in a possible Pac-12 championship game is 12th. Uh, others receiving votes, you have Fresno State had 21 votes, UCLA had 10, Oregon State had two. Um, there was a random rogue first place vote for Texas at number 18, but uh, quite the interesting poll with SC at number 15. Lincoln Riley's former school, Oklahoma, Slots in at number nine. Your thoughts? I, I, okay. Polls are polls. Like they're just, they're, they're whatever every year, but like who I need to know, I need to know who cast the, the, the Texas vote. Like, was it Jimbo at Texas A&M? Just like, like being a troll, (laughs) like, who was it? Who was? I need to know. That would be know. a good move, wouldn't it? Yeah. I, like, I didn't even think about that. What was it? Sark himself pulling a kiffin? Like, was it? Uh, I don't know. It, it could have just been a million, a million different options, and I want to know the story behind it because it's so insane. <laughs> like, even if you think Texas is gonna be good this year, that's an insane first place vote. What were they like? Uh, four and eight last year? Yes. For like yes. Five and seven, whatever it was, under Sark's first year. Yeah, I I think Sark will pan out well at Texas. Maybe I'm crazy. Um, probably well, crazy because like like our friend uh, Kenny from Traveler Hayes Thursdays has been saying like you look at Texas and the crazy thing is all of their hires the last you know decade plus uh, since Mac Brown left have been good. They went and hired Charlie Strong, and Charlie Strong was absolutely the guy you should have wanted at the time. He, you know, takes Louisville to the to the Sugar Bowl and the whole bit, and he falls flat on his face. Well, USC they, they, fans they would get, have given up a lot of stuff to get Tom Herman when they hired Tom Herman. Tom Herman was much ballyhooed. He everyone thought that he was going to go to you know LSU or go to you know insert school here. He could have gone anywhere. Everyone wanted him at the time. He goes to Texas and falls flat on his face. Uh, And here comes Sark, who, if it wasn't for the year and a half at SC, which was marred by, uh, you know, his off-the-field incidents, if it wasn't for that, everyone would say that it was, you know, a strong hire given his resume. A national championship winning assistant coach, 
someone with uh, NFL assistant experience, uh, some guy who's bounced around. Sh- surely the Washington tenure w- was up and down, but trending in the right direction towards the end. And yet they were terrible last year, and here they are with the with the first place vote. But this isn't a Texas podcast. SC's no. at 15. I want to know your thoughts about SC at 15, because for me, that feels about right. Like, I, I always struggle with these preseason polls because there's two ways to look at it. You look at the number and you go, is that about right with what I think that they are? And then you have to think about what a poll actually is. It's ranking teams in, you know, it's it's sort of three-dimensional, right? Like, where do you rank against everybody else? It's not about just, is does USC going into this season seem like they could be the 15th best team in the country? Yeah, I think that's possible. I think that's fair. Are there actually 14 teams that are better than them? Are there actually, you know, uh, 115 that are worse than them? I don't know the specifics because I haven't looked at every single team in America, right? But, like, the number 15 on the surface sounds sounds pretty okay. Well, it's perfect to me. I love USC starting 15th. That means they have plenty of room to rise and to earn going into the top 10 instead of starting in the top 10 and having uh, having a lot of expectations. Um, Poncho Cam in, in the chat said USC should be in the top 10. I don't think that's necessarily wrong because I, I think that, like, if I'm Baylor, I'm kind of pissed off that I'm behind Oklahoma. Like, Baylor has earned a better ranking than Oklahoma given the, the offseason that Oklahoma has had. Um, if I'm, you know, uh, Michigan State, I'm I'm wondering why I'm not higher up. Uh, if I'm Oklahoma state, I'm wondering why I'm not top 10 USC. I think you could absolutely make the argument that they will probably be a top 10 team this season, but I got no issue with the coaches not putting USC in there. A, it doesn't matter. Uh, and B, you know, (laughs) I, I'd rather see USC is slightly under the radar wherever possible, uh, than, than going into the season, you know, ranked number seven or something, and then just only having room to to fall. So right. uh, I think it's fair, considering the turnover, considering everything I've talked about this summer, um, the, the, the turnover of the roster, the defensive questions, all of that kind of stuff, like, uh, and, and Josh Arena just said USC is always overranked. Like, that's, that's absolutely true. USC is overranked. Yeah. If they're going to be underranked this year, then I'm actually kind of here for it. Like, well, th- this is the year I'll take it. Given all the turnover, I think the reality is we don't know how good this USC team is, right? Like it's it is funny though that like many a Clay Hilton team was ranked sort of fourteen to thirteen, and like I think everyone will say this USC team certainly has more potential to to do something interesting. Yes. But they have more potential, I, I think. But in terms of immediate week one confidence, I I don't know, and that's not that's obviously not a knock on on the current regime. It's more so just, you just don't know. There's so many mixed, mixed parts. The, I think SC is going to be pretty good. I don't know exactly how good SC is going to be. And I think 15 sort of, sort of makes sense there. Even if they probably maybe could be 20th, uh, they get the, the five place uh, grid bump because it's, it's SC. Like, penalty. you know, the, it, it sort of makes sense. Uh, here's what I know. If USC beats Stanford, they'll be top 10 by then. I think. So sure. get through the, the again, game that I'm calling the trap game 
and then you'll you're use, calling the trap game. I everyone's I, calling that trap game. I said from the beginning, as soon as Lincoln Riley was hired, I said that's the one to circle. Yeah. Um, so so the, if USC gets through that one, then uh, then yeah, USC will be will have gotten. Will, trust me, USC blows out Rice like sixty to nothing, and they're going to move up five spots just on that on the, that string. The, the the crazy thing for me is like. I think the Stanford game is absolutely going to be a metal tester for SC because for all the reasons I've said in the past, I think that if you're David Shaw, you want to do all you can to put all your eggs in the, especially if you're Stanford who maybe doesn't have a bunch of high hopes this season, uh, based on the last couple of years, not really panning out for the Cardinal. You want to put all your eggs in the basket of, delivering an early punch to shut up SC and all the hype. And that's what Stanford's been so good at in general, but especially, especially this year. Uh, so it would sort of make sense. That said, I don't know that if SC beats Stanford, that it's going to actually be impressive with the pollsters, considering that Stanford is a team that, you know, what were they last year? Three and nine, four and eight, like in that ballpark, like, I guess I'm thinking not of exactly it. impressive. We think of Stanford as being impressive because we want them to be the Stanford of yesteryear. Because that rivalry was so fun, and you know, we being sort of conference power because they were for fifteen for ten years. But it's been like you know, the the way it's been a few years now. The way I see it though is that if if USC beats Stanford, I don't know the only month the season changes in terms of trajectory for me if USC beats Stanford. So like if USC beats Stanford, they get Fresno State, who will be I mean, I there's a decent chance Fresno State could be ranked by the time that game comes around. Sure. Uh get them at home. And then you gotta go to Corvallis to an Oregon State team that is getting votes in the in the uh in the coaches poll. So for whatever reason, and then I think you, you get Arizona State, which uh, personally I think they're going to be a dumpster fire. I'm probably jinxing it, but if you make it through Stanford, like the chances of you being five and zero at the end of that first game, that first five game stretch, like I feel like that's pro- way more probable. Whereas, like if if USC uh, loses to Stanford, you could still win the rest of those games, but you change the dynamics of the season. I, Do you so, get, does that make sense? Like, so, well, okay, here's the thing. I think that you look, you look at SC's schedule, Oregon state on the road in Corvallis absolutely should be the, the, the terrifying game, right? Yeah. Uh, given how well Oregon state has looked under, under Jonathan Smith, that should be the game that should have you shaken in the boots. Absolutely. I think your game than Stanford. If it wasn't for the idea that SC just tends to, Early on to Stanford because David Shaw for some reason is really good in that game. Like and Every and they year. they pull out these these performances where they you know uh, play up and compared to what they what they do in the rest of the season. So how much of that was about Clay Elton? How much of that was about David Shaw? I think we're going to learn a lot uh, this upcoming year. Um, you know, next month uh, when SC plays Stanford up uh, on the farm. Um, the other, the other thing, Notre Dame at five, Utah at number eight. So there are opportunities for SC potentially to have impressive wins. If the season goes well for SC and SC needs those opportunities, they're there in Notre Dame and, and Utah. Your thoughts on the, uh, the Irish and the Utes? Um, 
I think that that ranking for Utah is is giving them good respect, and I'm glad that they're getting that kind of respect in this poll. the The Notre Dame one is really interesting because, like, Notre Dame's almost like in the reverse USC at this point. People are putting a, a lot of stock in in Freeman, and I think he could be good, but they're putting a lot of stock in him hitting the ground running and and sort of having everything work out for him in in his first year as a head coach, and so that sort of top five ranking. Um, it could bite Notre Dame in the butt if if they have some growing pains with the new coaching staff. I, I I think if you're Notre Dame, that move was about continuity. Yeah, and and yes, I think there's long term hope that they have in Freeman. I think that you know, rightly so. I think he's someone who has been you know highly praised for for good reason. At the same time, that move was about stability after Brian Kelly leaves. So if anything, I think it's a completely different situation than what than what Lincoln Riley is doing, which he had to tear down SC and rebuild more. So what I'm saying is like, if I'm, if I'm Martin Freeman, like I almost want to be underestimated more than, than that question that, that, than that, uh, that number five is, is giving me because I know continuity is a thing, but also he hasn't been on the staff that long. And Brian Kelly is decades of, of extreme success in the college game. And, Freeman is a rookie here. He's a, a straight up rookie. So, but by the way, did you say Martin Freeman? Like I the actor? I did say, I did say Martin Freeman, and immediately I'm like, it's not Martin Freeman. I'm like, is that a season one Fargo reference? I I feel like. <laughs> or uh, uh, was he's in uh, Love Actually, right? Yeah, Martin Freeman's in Love Actually too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where does he rank? Favorite in Love. I think oh, he's got to be up there. For he's me. high up there. I love that storyline. I love him in that role. Uh, he's just like they're both beautifully awkward in that, uh, and I just yeah. I love awkward people. So yeah, yeah, 100%. love it. Uh, let, let's uh, let's turn the page and uh, talk about USC and recruiting. SC gets a big commitment from four-star edge rusher Braylon Shelby out of Friendswood, Texas. Is that a cool name or what? Friendswood, Friendswood, Texas. Texas. Yeah. Uh, 133, uh, 133rd in the 24-7 sports uh, national composite, the 15th-ranked edge rusher, and the 23rd-ranked recruit in the state of Texas. Uh, 77 tackles last year, eight sacks. Uh, it was the unanimous Texas District 9-5-A D1 first team. A lot, a of, lot of... It's like I'm reading a license plate or something. <laughs> uh, first team selection, an outside linebacker as a junior. Uh, and the Trojans, of course, beat out uh, the Texas Longhorns, the same Texas Longhorns of one first place coaches poll vote. Yes, indeed. And and that's why I think this is a big deal. There's been a lot of talk about how USC needs to recruit the trenches uh, better. And this is definitely a move in that direction. Pulling a, you know, top 150 edge rusher out of Texas when you're going against Texas in the recruitment. I think it, that's a that's a really really good sign for Roy Manning and the and the guys recruiting uh, for the the defensive line. So really, the, this is exactly the kind of player that USC needs to bring in that they need to hold on to, and then they need to move forward with uh, being able to prove they can they can grab these guys from out of state, uh, from in state, from everywhere. So technically, big, big get. Texas recruits should be considered in state for SC, given <laughs> given the Texas uh, connection. The, the history of SC in Texas, not only the last couple of years, but even with Lincoln Riley. I mean, he yeah. he is super familiar with Texas. Norman is only a couple hours away from 
from the the state anyway. So uh, yeah, it, it all sort of checks out. And speaking of that area, SC makes another uh, haul of sorts uh, from the state of Texas in the Big Twelve. Uh, USC hires former Big 12 Executive Associate Commissioner Ed Stewart. He will be the Executive Senior Associate Athletic Director for Football Administration. That's like the word equivalent of that unanimous Texas Texas District 95A D1 first team selection. Yeah. A a, a thousand percent. Uh, He's basically going to be the new Brandon Sosna who left for the uh, Detroit Lions. Uh, Dennis Dodd from CBS tweeted, Ed Stewart is one of the most respected administrative football minds in the game when uh, former, or I think, sorry, current Big 12 uh, commissioner Bob Bowlesby announced his retirement. His name was one of the first one I thought of. Best of luck on the West Coast to Ed. Uh, Pete Thamel tweeted, a source noted, he brings a lot of experience with conference realignment, and uh, which is a huge piece. His ability to be a leader in transition over the next couple of years will be critical. Uh Never heard of this dude before, you know, all this breaks. But if Pete Thamel and Dennis Dodd are singing your praises, I think that's a that's a good sign. Absolutely. Yeah. Whenever the national guys are out there saying this is a good hire, it's probably a good hire for me. It's just the fact that USC is hiring a executive senior associate athletic director for football administration. Yeah. Which essentially means they're hiring like a football GM. Uh, that is good. That is good. When you when you are acknowledging that football deserves its own specific uh, AD figure that is focusing completely on the football program and all of the wants and needs of the football program. Absolutely here for it. Another sign that the athletic department has its stuff together more and more and more. So yay to this. 100%. I, we'll, we'll see everything that comes of it, but another another in the, the line of those uh, – those Ryan Abraham singles that uh, that he would always talk about about yeah. uh, Mike Bone getting singles. Uh, Brandon Sosna was you know basically like a three run bomb. Yes. Um. You you want to hope that that Ed Stewart can be one of those two, but if nothing else, it's another single and a a move in his favor to get someone who is experienced and not just you know a, a former football guy. This isn't hiring a, a guy off the P. Carroll team to yeah. run, uh, you know, a p- part of the administration. That, that's that's not what USC does right now, and that's a, that's certainly a good thing. Um, looking back at the P. Carroll era, though, uh, things were good for USC wide receivers, and things are good for USC wide receivers now to the point that ESPN did its annual uh, university um Declarations, P- position you, yeah. uh, calculations, whatever. Yeah. And USC, of course, is wide receiver U. Uh, the Trojans were number two in quarterback U, number five in linebacker U, uh, and uh, not in the top five at uh, running back U, uh, even though Oregon is the top school in the Pac-12 there. Uh, the tailback U at, at USC you know, was decades ago at this point. Don't think that's a surprise. SC is historically tailback you, but in, in actuality, um, this entry, uh, not really the case. But wide receiver you, yeah, absolutely. SC's going to be in the mix there. Yeah, I mean, when when you talk about adding Drake London from a very bad USC team, and he's yep. Drake London level, and then you talk about 
what Michael Pittman and Amon Ross St. Brown uh, have, were able to do at USC and then also the reputation that both of them are gaining uh, in the NFL this year and, and previous years. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, Nelson Aguilar has been in the league. Like it, It's just USC is is producing NFL quality receivers, like even more so than during the Pete Carroll era when USC had really, really good uh, receivers, but they were sort of getting a reputation for receiver busts in the NFL to a point. And uh, that has certainly not been the case. The guys who have come into the league recently are all uh, are all hitting it. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, these these rankings that ESPN puts out is really about producing the guys into the league. It's not about producing, you know, all pros and pro bowlers and all that stuff, which is why SC ranks so high in terms of quarterbacks, because all the quarterbacks have gotten to the to the NFL. They've all really been drafted, you know. Um, they, they've gotten there for the most part in the last two decades, and that surely has been the case with the wide receivers. I think that Alabama is probably a school that you look in the last decade and say that they've probably produced, certainly in the last five years, have probably produced the best uh, high end receivers when you talk about first round guys. Um, and SC has had what two first round. Um, wide receivers in the last uh, last decade in uh, Nelson Aguilar and uh, and Drake London. London. Yeah, well, but, and, but there's and- been a, a slew of you know second rounders. I mean, even going back to Kerry uh, Colbert was a second rounder. Steve Smith was a second rounder. Robert Woods was a second rounder. Uh, Juju, uh, Marquise Lee, like yeah, all those guys, uh, Pittman, uh, all second rounders, um, and it's just been a steady stream of all of them. Um, and when you're SC and you can re- recruit those dudes and they help in the passing game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, look at the receiving core that SC had, what, two years ago, Pittman, Amon Ra, uh, Drake London. Th- those were your three starters. Tyler oh, and, Vons. and then there was a Tyler Vons on yeah. top of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was, it was insane. And, and that's just- what you want to keep going uh, under Lincoln Riley as well. It's wild when you look at other schools and like their wide receiver, um, their wide receiver rankings or their like production. Like I just remember looking at Ohio State's. Like I think Chris Olave was like the the career leader or whatever, and his his numbers pale in comparison to anybody in the top ten at USC. Yeah, and you think that like Tyler Vaughn's at most other programs would be like the greatest wide receiver in in the history of their school, and yeah. like. Tyler Vons was like the fourth best wide receiver on the field for you to see that year. You, <laughs> like, know what the, it's you know what the problem with Tyler Vons is? He he went to SC where like, yeah, to, to be considered an all-timer, you've got to sort of be an all-timer. And like, because yeah, his career was great. Yes. It was just in the pantheon of, of what great means at USC. That's certainly a different thing. But like, that is n- by no means Tyler Vons. No, right? he's you know a what I mean? tremendous so, wide receiver. Yeah. And yeah. so... I always thought it was weird growing up looking at the stat book and how crazy it was that all the records in the receiving game, they're all new. They're all of them. Like you, you look up Lynn Swan's numbers and you know, if you look on any list of all time USC receivers, some people put him as high as like top three, right? I have a hard time doing that because he was playing, you know, at, at SC in, a, in an era in which it was completely different for what a wide receiver is. Like one, I think he had 73 career catches. 
Uh, when you Lin Swan and like when Drake have, London had that in like six games last year. When you can have the Keyshawn Johnson Mike Williams debate while also having yeah. the Drake London Michael Pittman debate while also having the Marquise Lee versus Robert Woods debate mm-hmm. while also having the Steve Smith and Dwayne Jarrett debate, like it's it's it is absolutely insane. USC has it's a three D yeah. of of all time wide receivers that would, yes. would, would be better than most of the, of the starting lineups of wide receivers that, uh, that, that schools out there could put together. Uh, uh, it is truly just, insane. Just get, get into it. Who, who's your, who's your starting five? Well, starting five or am I st- starting three? Okay. Do, let's go going five wide. Uh, can I go five wide? Okay. Let's say four wide. Let's go four wide. But just go five and include a tight end. So four receivers oh, and a tight end. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right off the dome. Don't, okay. don't don't overthink it. Okay, I'm going uh Keyshawn, Mike Williams, Marquise Lee. Oh shoot. Dr- uh Drake London. Oh my gosh. London's in the mix, okay. And uh, I mean, no no no, hold on. Ha, I'm I'm cheating. Bear with me. Uh I'm going to go Mike Williams, Keyshawn Johnson, Marquise Lee. Uh, <laughs> my God, Mikey! Oh, uh, I'm I, gonna have to leave someone out, and it's killing me. Mm, okay, Robert, somebody, Robert Woods, and then Drake London is my tight end. Okay, that All is right. I, that I, is I respect it. Pain because I'm leaving out Michael Pittman. I'm leaving out Steve Smith. I'm leaving yeah. out Juju Smith Schuster. Mm-hmm. Who is up there with one of my favorite all-time players that I've ever seen USC seen play at USC? Um, I'm leaving out uh, Nelson Aguilar. There's a million dudes. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want to know my five? Again, including a tight end. So the, this would be a little funky, but let let me know about this. You Mike, would turn Mike Williams into your tight end. I've seen you play Madden. Well, if I was playing Madden, I wouldn't. Of course. Yeah. Uh, no, I go Mike Williams, uh, Marquis Lee. Robert Woods, Adoree Jackson, that. and uh, let's go with uh, the tight end is uh, Fred Davis. Actually, take out Marquise and put in um, put in Keyshawn. You're taking out Marquise? Yeah, that- let, let me explain. You take out Marquise because I think that Adoree can do the same thing as Marquise. And I kind of like bringing in Adoree because he's different. See, like this we're, is we're, the- we're, we're talking about a cohesive unit. You have Mike Williams and Keyshawn Johnson, and then you have you have Woods is, is like your your re- receiving stalwart. Adoree's going to be your scat guy who can pretty much go anywhere. He can be inside. He can be a slot. Can dude. we? He can he can run around on, on the on reverses and everything. He can sort of do that kind of thing. And then you have uh, Fred Davis as your old reliable. Can we talk about how you, USC you could make an argument for one of like one of USC's best receivers in history was a cornerback? <laughs> hey, I will make That's an argument insane. that one of USC's best receivers was a fullback because Stanley Havili. Stanley Havili, man, if you give me a fullback, if you okay, if you you line up, you line up you, you, with you, you two the, things that were uh, that I'm crazy for picking Dory over Marquis. I agree. I, I think Marquis. We are cheating, Marquis Lee. There is no universe where a starting four or five <laughs> at USC doesn't include Marquis Lee. I'm also it's, right there to yeah. say that there isn't a universe where it doesn't include Drake London. So, like, find a way to fit him in there. As far as I'm concerned, but 
Um, it, it it's just like insane because it, you if you set up it's a new type type of air raid where the goal is just to have as many passing yards as you can possibly have in a season. Like just set every record for passing yards in a season. Go do it. Mm-hmm. My 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 fullback running back. Well, I would have Reggie Bush on the field with Stanley Havili. Okay. Havili would eat. You want to know who my second running back would be behind Reggie in that sense? Um, Buck Allen. Buck Allen. Buck yes. Allen was a great receiving yes. option as a receiver. Love Loved it. him coming out of the backfield. And because yeah. there was that stretch where he had like a hundred all purpose yards for like every game. Yeah. It was like 20 something straight games. And it was because he was so good uh, catching the ball in the backfield. He was great on the slip stream. Slip, mm. uh, slip, slip screen. screen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so good at that. And yeah, you, you add him into you. You have him on a in a in sort of an air radio offense. He would he would have been great. Just like, um, you know, I I don't know what Reggie Bush would be today. I I don't know. Like I can't. Would he be, in this all passing offense? Would he, he would be, be a running a back. In this all passing offense, he'd be a running back in the backfield, but he'd just go out to receive. Yeah, him. like he'd be like fifty fifty in terms of, of yeah. how he's getting touched yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, we we got a comment from from Tim who says I can't wait Lee Williams Woods and Johnson uh, and Fred Davis at tight end yeah I think that right there is the chalk pick I think I that can, I think that's right you know it's gonna be really fun next summer when NCAA football comes out and like hold us to this guys but like we're gonna be able to to challenge ourselves to do this kind of bullcrap that's like <laughs> play a season with uh where you never throw where you never uh you you never rush the football hey, you only throw on passes now. we can we do, can like, do this stuff it's gonna be fun we, we, yeah we can we can play on the on the old youtubes yeah, yeah. That, that'll be fun anyways, anyways. It, it's, th- this is the fall camp begins episode yeah and we're like 40 <laughs> minutes into it we have not talked about fall camp yeah uh, so let's talk about fall camp. Uh, we are will not be at fall camp this year, but I don't think that we're necessarily missing anything because everybody's missing everything. Uh, the way that the the meteor um, availability goes this year, um, the first half hour basically the media is allowed to see. You're allowed to see stretching and individual one on one drills, but no team activities. So. Once they get into actually running plays, the media's got to go uh, and come back at the end of practice for whatever player and coach availability is on the docket for that day. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how we sort of gauge what fall camp is going to be like in a condition where practice is essentially mostly closed. Um, and this is why I thought it was so interesting that uh, – <laughs> That everyone, you know, kind of hated uh, when Clay Helton would would do things like, well, literally anything. But mm-hmm. when, when he would change practice habits, like you know, closing it off to the media or whatever, SC having open practice was the outlier. SC was the weird one nationally for having such open access practices. Uh, I think we all agree that we want open practices because it's so it's so nice to be able to see those things and, and to report and to be able to talk to, to fans and get fans drummed up for what the season's going to be like. But what Oklahoma was doing is more in line with what everyone else has been doing. And Lincoln Riley definitely tightening things up that way. 
Well, um, actually, they're way more open than anyone expect expected this year. Yeah, I think so too. Just the fact that practices are going to be open for the warm up for the thirty is, minutes, yeah, is uh, is a surprise to everybody. So kudos to Mike Mike Bone for keeping his promises to the media when he said he would try to work with a thousand percent. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, it's going to be the kind of thing that not you're not going to actually see a ton from. Uh, from uh, people who are at media aren't going to see the kinds of access that, you know, we used to have where we used to get to watch them in full 11 on 11s. Yeah. It, it, I mean, how, how, how do you figure out the depth chart kind of thing? I think it's going to be interesting. So uh, we got some nuggets here based on uh, media reports and Relique Brown is one of the big ones sort of turning heads early on. Again, this is from like one-on-one drills, um, but he is is sort of someone who who I think people have their eyes on, and um, so far so good on, on things that are really brown physicality, of course, a big buzzword. Uh, and Lincoln Riley says the number one thing that we're grading and evaluating evaluating you on right now is your fight. Uh, that was his message uh, about players. Your, your thoughts so far? Yeah, so I mean, so far what we've gotten to see is just the videos that USC is putting out, um, and you know people are getting hyped up about them because they're showing you know what looks like physicality. They're in pads and they're talking about it for sure. They it sounds like things are 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 uh, at a level that uh, is is a high intensity level. So trying not to read too much into that kind of thing because the the videos from camps are always sort of try to try to help you up, and you can't really tell for sure. We'll see what, uh, what. What are you trying to suggest? Are you saying it's propaganda? Because it's because propaganda. Dylan Baxter was not propaganda. That was real. <laughs> Those clips were real, and he was going to win the Heisman. He like the he won the Heisman Bush. with that one play in yes. that one camp. Well, well I jo- know what you're talking about. Josh Follow just won the uh, the Mackey Award with his one handed catch uh, <laughs> that that USC was showing off on Twitter. It, it um, can happen, baby. Like I'm yeah. just glad to see him practicing. Like I went to practice for four or five years and I can count on one hand the number of practices I saw him at. So uh, yeah, it's exciting that um, that he's out there making plays like that's, I think that's great. So uh, yeah, camp is starting. I love the buzz that we're hearing about Relique Brown. It's exciting. They're talking about using him like a Swiss army knife, which I quite enjoy. I'm, I'm still not sure where he's going to fit in an offense that has so many other weapons so it will be very fun to see uh, once the once the sort of live and li- in the words of Clay Hilton, once the live bullets start flying, um, <laughs> what uh, <laughs> what they're you actually going to use. The players with? drive it like they stole it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, this is a, a big opportunity for uh, for guys who maybe had, had not been able to break through or are new to the scene because it's a new coaching staff. Every, everything is a fresh start. And, you know, when you hear, when you watch a video and, and you hear Lincoln Riley say, like, the number one thing we're grading and evaluating you on is your fight. Like, if that's true, which, you know, one can only hope, mm-hmm. uh, then uh, then then maybe we'll get more fight out of players and we'll get more uh, from players who know that they have to impress the new coaches. And maybe we'll finally get to see Josh Follow live up to, uh, live up to the high expectations that he came in with. And he's dealt with countless countless injuries uh so maybe this is his opportunity we've seen other guys in their final year finally get their moment so he's one of those guys that could get it brandon peely could get it um there's a lot of guys that just i'm just excited to see what what they can bring yeah 100 i I think it's this is 
going to be a fascinating month just hearing things. Um, but also in, with the anticipation of September 3rd, four weeks away now. I have no mm-hmm. idea what to expect out of USC in week one. And that's sort of exciting. Like, I, I think of the last few seasons and really the last two seasons, just the the lack of buzz. I remember going into the last two years. I, I remember the day before the first game last year. It was just. And I, I messaged to somebody. I'm like, it doesn't even feel like the season started. You, like, there's you... no, like, like, it used to be that. Once it gets to like as a kid growing up, like once it gets to, you know, July, you start getting antsy. You get the season tickets in the mail. It's like, ooh, here we go, and then you're just counting down the days. And the night before, you just can't sleep, and it's like Christmas, you know, the the next morning. And that was just completely gone the last couple of years. Yeah. And and now it's like there's a lot of anticipation for uh, for the season coming up. Um, Really quick fall fall camp question for you before we get to the mailbag and start taking questions uh, from our beautiful listeners. Uh, what are the what is for you? What are, what are you most looking forward to hearing hype about um, this fall camp? What one thing you can think about? Um, I want to hear some hype around the linebackers. Like I want people you want to a, re- a reason to buy in. Yeah, I want people to talk about. Oh yeah, Shane Lee's the real deal. Uh, I want people to talk about Gentry that like he's the real deal, or that Raylan Goforth's really coming along this year, or that um, you know even that even you know at Corey Foreman at, on the outside at edge, uh, any of those sort of guys in that in that bracket of very important positions that have just flat out underperformed over the last few years. Mm-hmm. I just want somebody to get me really excited about those positions in particular. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a, a good call. I, I think you want to you want to see anything at the linebacker position. I think defense in general. I, I want to yeah. see some something because I'm so fascinated to see what happens. I, I'm pretty confident that SC's offense is going to be just fine. Yeah, it, it's it's the defense that is, is a huge question. Luckily for them, the bar is so low; they just need <laughs> to just you know show up and have a pulse. And I think they'll be better than last year. So. Yeah. Uh, that that'll be a good starting place, but and I've seen but you want to see something, right? Yeah, and I've seen some some talk from uh, you know it's the same old same old same old talk from from defensive coordinators from from defensive coaches and stuff. But like the stuff that they're saying, I like what they're saying. That the, the stuff like they don't want to just get stops; they need turnovers, and that they're really going to make that emphasis. Um, and and just like intensity being a big thing. Uh, all of these are words, so you I, know, I you, mean they've never worked harder. They've the, never the, worked harder the, to get the, turnovers. Yeah, the um, the strength and conditioning coach. Um, <laughs> These workouts are really kicking kicking butt. You know, yeah, they're really different. they're really building the culture. Yeah. But I will say and, and one things. one of the things that came out from um, from the media day that USC held. One of the things that I highlighted that I really liked from Brett Nealon, sorry Brett Nealon, uh, was that he talked about like how the culture has changed since Lincoln Riley came. And that, you know, early in spring, every every uh, every session they were getting together, they were having to do like 100, 200 push-ups or sit-ups or whatever because of punishment for guys being late to practice. And like he's saying now this fall, like we maybe have to do five because there's one straggler. So like that's the kind of thing that I am uh, that I'm getting excited about. And I want to continue to hear those kinds of things as much proof positive as possible. 
that uh, the things are changing. Think about all the tone they get from those push-ups, though. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, they're going to be so much less conditioned. Because <laughs> they're not doing, yeah, uh, yeah. Pu- punishment reps. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, let's turn it over to you guys and open up the old mailbag. Uh, we got a question that was sent to us before the show from Josh in Buckeye Country. Do you think we'll see more of a mature Caleb Wilson? Uh, Caleb Williams, one of these names. Will- I'll get the names right. Uh, Caleb Williams under center, or does he get wrapped up uh, by being under the L.A. lights? At times he looked like a freshman. It was just very fast to take off under pressure by defenses last year. I'm going to be really intrigued by this because this has been a talking point that has plagued USC, which is the lack of development from quarterbacks because they add on responsibilities. I I noticed that the first time with uh, Matt Barkley, uh, Matt Barkley's senior year was not good compared to his junior year. His senior year, he threw uh, double the interceptions. Uh, his completion percentage was down. Like all those things, took a step back because he had more responsibility. He was expected to do even more, and that sort of backfired. And the same thing happened for Cody Kessler, for Sam Darnold, for Keaton Slovis. All those guys in the last decade, they got more responsibility as they got older. Sam Darnold, in particular, was told to stay in the pocket in 2017. And what happened was he he started throwing more interceptions than f- having fumbles. Like he was still turning the ball over just as much as he was the year before, but even more so because he's throwing the ball now, uh, throwing the ball, making worse decisions with it with his arm. So I'm always reluctant to see what those things are like if you're going to you know drill into your quarterback to stay in the pocket and not run so quickly. But I will trust a Lincoln Riley in delivering that message way more than than the quarterback coaches that SC has had over the past decade. Yeah, and that's one of the things that that um, people do have to remember is that Caleb Williams, very exciting, but still a young quarterback. He didn't even have a, a full season of starting experience at Oklahoma. He got some very valuable experience, but it wasn't a full, you know, 12 games that he was starting and playing in. Um, so, you know, he's still going to be learning. Mm-hmm. There was a talk that he maybe needed to sharpen up his decision making, particularly on uh, zone reads and, and just reading a defense. And those are the things that come with time. And like, this is why a, a second year, or, you know, third year quarterback, they you want them to get better until they're a senior because four years is a long time to learn the process of reading a defense and, and all right. of that kind of stuff. So. Um, I think just be patient with Caleb Williams. We know he has a, a ton of talent. It's going to be really fun to watch him. He's going to make some mistakes. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but you just want to see him continue to to get better and better. And 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 what the one thing we know is that Lincoln Riley has produced too many good quarterbacks for it yes. not to to be something that you can expect to see from Caleb Williams. Uh, whether or not it'll percent. be whether or not he's going to make that really big leap this year or maybe next year. Uh, is uh, is is really where my question would come in? Yeah, Lincoln Riley has not produced a bad quarterback since he became the OC at, at Oklahoma. So, yeah, um, yeah, thing, things yeah, from, are from walk-ons to five-star studs. Like every single one that he's yeah. picked to be his starter has been exceptional. So yeah, so yeah. You, you should be able to feel confident uh, in that. Uh, let's go through the questions that we've got here on YouTube. Of course, you can always interact with us here on YouTube by. Putting a question in the chat and uh, leading it off with question in your question. So that way we can see it in all caps. Uh, also, by the way, if you're if you're joining us here on YouTube, please give the 
live stream a like. It helps us grow the show and recommend the show to all of your friends. Subscribe and all of that. Um, you guys are awesome. We couldn't do this without you, and uh, we forever appreciate you. Uh, Josh says, who earns the game, the player of the game uh, award against Rice? I think the easy answer is Caleb Williams. Uh, I I think my most excited answer would be if, um, hmm, I don't know if somebody like uh, Tuli Tupelo to won it. Like I think that would be that would be really fun. But it's it's uh, a ninety point. If if you need a defensive player yeah. to be your best player against Rice, like I I I ninety nine. I know what you're saying, but it's unless, he, be, unless yeah. he has like eight sacks or something. Well, that I mean that's what I'm saying. Is that <laughs> like maybe that happens? Maybe someone has four interceptions and that's fun. But no, it's like ninety nine percent is going to be Caleb Williams, and if not Caleb Williams, then uh, Jordan Addison or a receiver. Like if it's not. Yeah, the quarterback or receiver, I genuinely will be slightly surprised. I, I, I tend to think it would be Williams. I think they'll they'll throw the ball around and, and try to because if everyone a, involved, if a receiver goes off, then Williams' numbers are going to be yeah. out of this world. So yeah, that that too. Poncho Cam says, "Do you think SC has a forty-five point per game offense?" Uh, yeah, I think they have that capability. Certainly, there's, there's so much potency uh, at the skill positions. They return an offensive line that is predominantly experienced. You have probably the best offensive lineman uh, in the conference. Um, in, in Andrew Voorhees, it's either him or Jackson Kirkland at Washington, right? Like flip a coin. I, I think that is a great sign. And you got the Blitnikoff Award winner. You got the the Pac-12's um, current all-purpose yardage leader in in uh, in Travis Dye. Like, I think there's a lot of reason to think that they could be. I w- would expect a 35-point offense to start because you got to start somewhere. SC has been hovering around the, you know, 30 point um, offense, get to 35, then get to 40, then get to 45. Ideally you want to, to be at 45, but you got to start somewhere first. Yeah. Oklahoma averaged 39.1 last yeah. year. If USC is close to that, I'll be very happy. hundred um, percent. Anything above 35, I'll be, I'll be pretty okay. Uh, if it gets to 40, then that will mean, Anything over 40 something old. wonderful happened. Yeah. Now, granted, Oklahoma didn't have a Jordan Addison. They didn't have the wide receiver core that Caleb Williams now has. I mean, they were pretty good, though. They were pretty good, but like they didn't have. St- Oklahoma has had good receivers. I don't know that they've had like superstar receivers the way that USC can put superstar receivers on the field. Right. So like maybe that's the difference for Caleb Williams. Um, uh, die should be really uh, helpful in, in the running game, too, to keep things balanced. So. I think there is a chance that USC hits 40. I, I don't know that I would bet on it just because there's going to be a game or two where they just, everything goes wrong. It's going to happen. Like you have to sort of prepare for that just given how new everything is for, for this program. So um, I, I, 45 is probably asking a little bit too much. Uh, I wouldn't Maybe. rule it out. I wouldn't rule it out, but I, I just think it's probably, probably I, a little bit too much. I, I would say pray for 38. Yeah. Hope for 42. Yes. That work? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kings fan says, which game would be the most palatable loss? I think it's got to be at Utah, right? At Utah, if you kept it close, or is it yeah. Notre Dame? It might It might just be Notre Dame. And, well, it's one of the, it's one of the, the two. I think it's definitely yeah. those two would be the ones that would, that would be, that would hit there. I think there's a world in which it could be Oregon State, but we need to see Oregon State take another step forward first. Losing to a top 10 Utah 
Utah game, Utah team in Salt Lake City. If you didn't get the crap beat out of you, yeah, I don't think there's I any don't think that'd be, face Especially that. because the Pac-12 South um, record, like it's no, not no more division. It's not a division thing anymore. So losing yeah. to Utah means less than it mm-hmm. would in the past. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I would get bad. Obviously, I'm mad. Obviously, palatable losses are close losses. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Kings fan also says if Sasna was a three run bomb, what was Lincoln Riley? Uh, he <laughs> was uh, back, back to back grand slams. Yes. In that, in that comparison. Yeah. Uh, well, well, down seven, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rama Murdy says, uh, one of the most interesting things to watch in, in fall camp. I, I, I think it's got to be the development of the defense, right? I, I think so. Um, Maybe maybe it's the running back pecking order because I think it's it's you, you sort of look at it and say Travis Dye will be the guy, but you know, I, I'm not sure what it's gonna look like behind Relic Brown being part of that whole equation also will be very interesting to watch. So mm-hmm. um on defense, certainly the linebackers on offense, I'd say the running backs and just what what that unit looks like, um, what the pecking order starts to look like uh going forward. Yeah. Uh Hokey P says, uh, what are you most excited to see in fall camp? I think we talked about that. It's buzz in general, but especially anything on defense. I, I think any defensive buzz, but any buzz, anything that makes me excited to, for the season to start, like anything that yeah. gets me going, I think is going to be the thing that excites me most. All of it. hundred percent. Uh, Scott says over under attendance for, for the rice game. First of all, I, I don't want to put a exact number on that because that should be an over under for week one when we do our, our preview episode. So I'll hold back. Do we have a time? Then, then again, no yet? one's going to remember at this point. No. Uh, no, I won't I even remember. I think it's 3 p.m. I think it's 2 p.m. Mm. Week one. My my assumption for week one. 3 p.m. in 66, September. 66,000. That, that, is that potentially going to be another San Jose State? Uh, Six, 69,000. Like si- 60. It's going to be pushing 70, but it won't be 70. It's not. Yeah, I think it'll be lower than people expect. Uh, and it'll be way more about rice than anything. Rice at 3 p.m. in September when yeah, the who forecast wants, who is... Who wants some pro- afternoon rice? I mean, you know it's, I mean? it's probably going to be pushing 100 degrees at this rate. Like, I just... Uh, yeah. More, more of a bean guy in the afternoon. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you're, you're really trying to pigeonhole that one in, Michael. <laughs> Uh, let, let, let me let me have it, please. Uh, <laughs> Kings fan says question for Alicia: Has Michael's food takes gotten any better? Uh, there's nothing wrong with my food takes. So I I can't imagine that the answer would be yes. Uh, well, it shouldn't be no either because there's nothing wrong with my food takes, right? Right, right. There's n- there's nothing wrong with my food. <laughs> Um, so so tonight for dinner we're having tortellini. We're, we uh, are which, having tortellini. Which I should share what my tortellini take is. I've put this on Twitter before. Yeah. In case you don't read all of my tweets religiously, like like you should. Uh, my tweet about my thought about tortellini is that tortellini, my friends, should be a finger food. See, I dis- do it. Do it. Disagree. And thank me later. No, it I, is an amazing finger food. So okay. 
I, mm, I'm not going to disagree that like you couldn't just like eat a tortilla, like, but like why it doesn't need to be a finger food. Like why not? A, 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 on a fork is going to be the fork. best way to eat that. Why? Because then it's not going to, it, it's going to have to be cooled down enough that you're don't get, you know, burned fingers or something. I think they're fine at room temperature. And then you just dip it in, you, you can dip it in a, in a little thing of uh, marinara. Hell mm. yeah. I mean, it's a not, plus. It's, I think it's better warm. I mean, sure. But like, I, what I'm saying is I don't think it needs to be, I, I, I think it's edible, even if it's not piping hot. So I will eat it cold. I don't care. It's, I, a, it's a great finger food. I agree with you. The idea that like tortellini doesn't need to have sauce on it. My no. the, when when I make this tortellini, it's right like now, the it's only gonna pasta that, that that can be can, that you can have without sauce. I like a lot of pastas just buttered. To be honest, what are you six? Yes. Jeez. Apparently. <laughs> uh, Hokey P says fried tortellini. I could see regular tortellini as a finger food. I'm not so sure. Try it, my friend. <laughs> Try it. Try it. Uh, Josh says, do you think we will see any two-back sets? Yeah, probably. I, I mean, I haven't watched enough uh, OU games uh, off the top of my head, you know, studying them, but I would I would imagine there would be two-back sets. I think there's a lot of split backs where they might have an H-back in, in the backfield, too. Especially if they decide they want to find a way to get really Brown on the field. I could see that that being a possibility for sure. Yeah. Uh, our friend Dave in Orange County says, is the lack of a punting game going to hurt us uh, at some point this season? SC, if if you didn't didn't know, we should probably should have talked about it. Punter Atticus Bertram's from from Australia. Um, he, he was trying to get into school and they said, you. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know who said no, but he, either way, he's nah. not here for some reason. Yeah. Don't know the reason, but he, he's not he's, he's not here. So, so it SC sounds, doesn't have a punter. It sounds like Lincoln Riley is okay with going forward with the the walk-on punter that was there for spring camp, um, but that they're going to try and find like a backup plan. So there could be somebody still incoming at this point. Um, I guess, I guess not having a punter could always be a, a, a thing that comes back to, to bite USC, but at the same time, aren't we looking for this offense to not have to rely on a punter all that often? <sighs> Yeah, I, I, if there's a if there's a player in which you don't have a person on scholarship on the roster, it's the punter. Yeah, like that's the one. And I don't where, like, mind using a scholarship. Now, I, punter, I think but... having a good punting game is a great thing to have. Like, absolutely, he would be a great weapon to have if you if you had a you know great like rugby style punter. A thousand percent, I'm all on board for it. We've talked about it a lot in the past with uh, with with your friend. Uh, um, What was your, what was, your, what was your, the the guy that you you declared the um the Ray Guy winner that his name is just completely Ben Griffith Ben Griffith yes <laughs> I was totally I mean, we, not on the same page to, with we you. need to go back to the find the soundboard rig it up so you can oh my, my God, God Ben, ben Griffiths yeah. yep <laughs> yeah uh, ab- absolutely um last uh, couple questions here. Um, Josh says, uh, whose team has the better season, Kiffin at Ole Miss or uh, Sark at Texas? I, th- I think it's it's got to be Kiffin at Ole Miss at, at this point because um, just based on last year, they were a really good team last year. Mind you, I think the SEC was down uh, in the mid-tier last year, and that's why Ole Miss was so good and had a 10-win season. Uh, it was their most wins in school history or whatever it was. 
Um, so I think they might not be as good as they were last year, especially after the loss of Matt Corral. They have a new quarterback, some guy. Have you ever heard of their new quarterback? Uh, something Dart. Mm. Ne- something, never never heard of him. Uh, sounds very familiar. Uh, he, he's going to be interesting to see how he fits in. Um, but yeah, I would definitely take Ole Miss there. Uh, last question before we wrap this up. Tim says, should I be worried about offensive line depth? Please, please sell me on the depth. Can't do it. You should be worried. I don't think you need to worry too much about the, the starting five. I think the starting five looks looks pretty decent. They did a decent job last year. Um, they've added Bobby Haskins. Got to feel good. Depth. <laughs> start lighting candles. Start praying novellas. Start to, uh, you know, invoking whatever higher power you need to that uh, injuries don't hit that unit because I can't. Jabu. I can't I can't give you any promises about what happens behind the, the starting five. Yep. Yeah, I, I think I think the offensive line last year, we went into that season with no expectations uh, and they were arguably the best unit on the team. They were at least the least frustrating unit on the team. I, I think I think we did a disservice to the offensive line last year because we kept talking about how they were fine. Yeah. And I think that was because we were so clouded with preseason judgment of the, how bad they were going to be. Yeah. That I think that we didn't give them enough justice about how good they actually were last year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, like we said every time, like it wasn't USC's inability to score points in it the wasn't red zone or anywhere. Yeah. It wasn't because of the offensive line. Well, I've, the, trust me. The sacks at quarterback, I, like, I, I don't think they were necessarily because of the O-line either. Like, I have looked there were a lot of coverage sacks. in depth at some bad USC offensive lines that I've watched closely because I was doing rewatches. So, like, yeah, they weren't anywhere near that in terms of just no. bad, uh, bad assignments, they, physical beats, all that kind of stuff. I, I will take uh, it to my grave. SC hired Clay McGuire three years too late. Probably, yes. Probably yes. Um, whole new, whole new ball game. New offensive line coach again. New offense again. Like it's, it's. We don't know how what impact that's going to have on this offensive line. Uh, but at the very least, USC returns quite a veteran starting five. Yeah, with a lot of game experience. Uh, who have mm-hmm. been through this before with <laughs> new offensive line coaches. So. I think there's reason for optimism. Uh, Hokie says, uh, I think the starting line will actually be a huge strength for this team. Depth, however, is absolutely an issue. And I think that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Uh, one injury you, you, makes things very difficult. You talk about experience and, you know, Andrew Voorhees was recruited by, um, uh, by John Robinson. So yeah, that's what, that's what it feels like. He's been here for, for a long time, but yeah. Anyways, that's going to wrap up this episode. As always, Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back next week and we are working on something special for next week. Hmm. What could that special thing be? I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. Think about it. Uh, and you could find out next week, Monday night at 5 PM Pacific here on the YouTube and the same old time, same old channel over on any podcast catcher that you could find us. We'll be there after we record. We'll upload there as well. Uh, If you're listening to us here on YouTube, as always, hit the like button and the subscribe. And you're following us along with uh, Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. Give us five stars. We'll be your friend forever. 
Uh, and if you're listening to us on Spotify or anywhere else, do what you got to do. Subscribe. You know all those things. So thanks for everybody listening to uh, us here live. Thanks for everybody in the chat. You guys are awesome. And uh, we'll see you next week. See ya. See ya. See ya. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.